We're going to be over in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 14. Over the last few weeks, we have, last couple of weeks anyway, recently, we've been looking at self-limitations, that there are times that we put limitations upon ourselves. God has put imposed boundaries on us, and if we operate within those boundaries, good things happen. If we go outside those boundaries, is when we can step into a wrong place and get into a wrong, uh, 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 not necessarily a wrong anointing, but uh, we get empowered by the wrong things. And we surely don't need that to need that to go on. But some of the self-imposed boundaries that we can come to, or that that come to us, is one is perceptions. What we think of the perceptions we think other people have of us. The second would be ignorance. That we don't know some of the things that we can do, some of the places we are able to go. This is just review, of course. Third was guilt. And in here we were were talking about grief and gave you some things in the area of grief. Grief that comes from loss. Talked about how the loss of a spouse is different from the loss of a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister. And some of the things that go on with that. Because we put some self we put some limitations on ourselves in this area. It's just an area of guilt. You know, we can, uh, somebody may say, well, you should have done that for me, and I feel like I should have done that or should not have done that, simply because they felt that way. And that guilt can begin to put those things on you. Sometimes people have you know, lost a spouse. We told you before, where you lose a parent, you're not going to replace them. You lose a brother or sister, you're not going to replace them. But you lose a spouse... Some people go on from there and, then, and they, they find someone else who, come, who comes in. They don't necessarily replace the spouse, but they sit in that same office or that same place in their life that the other one had. And so sometimes we put them, we impose limitations how long it should be. Because now most of this doesn't come from God, it comes from other people. And so we have put limitations on ourselves that way. Sometimes we put limitations on others. I shared with you some of the stories that we had in, in that area. Here's the, the fourth one, self-confidence. If I'm not confident in what it is that I can do, I'll limit myself. Because I don't, uh, I don't think that I can do necessarily this, this particular thing. And so then we, we step away from it. I was watching a, a video, uh, one of my cross country guys had, had put up on the, uh, shared in a, in a place where I, I could see it. And it was a video of a pole boulder, boulder. And it, there's no description on it. It just kind of has the pole vaulter there. And we, I, I was watching him, and he's going along, and he, you know, he, he throws that pole vault down, and he bends that sucker. But his whole body gets into position I've never seen a pole vaulter get into. And he begins to push himself up. And as he gets up higher and higher, there, there was one thing missing from the view. The other pole. When you pole vault, you go over top of a bar a pole that's there, and this guy is going straight straight up, and there's no bar. And he keeps going up and up, and his hands are at the very end of the bar, and he sticks his feet straight up in the air, and with him fully extended from the bar, all the way up, you begin to see the, the bar he's going over. I've never seen anybody pole vault that much higher than the bar was. But it was, it seemed to be, it was more than his height from the top of his pole to the bar he was jumping over. 
and he made it. <laughs> that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Now, see, a lot of people would put a limitation on ourselves that, oh no, I'm not doing that. And if he had put that limitation on himself, he would never have done it. Other people would have would have done the same thing. I'm sure that nobody was uh, was tracking this. Um, the people in my circles do circles outside of outside of church. <laughs> uh, but um, was anybody aware aware that the um, record for the marathon was broken for the first time in recorded history? A person ran the marathon under two hours. Two hours to run 26.2 miles. Now, since that time, they took the shoes that he used and they made them illegal in certain races. <laughs> there, there was something a little special about the shoes. And, but still, he had to go at this pace. And I, um, my running buddy, John, he was telling me about it. He was giving me the, the rundown on the whole thing. And the guy didn't veer off the pace more than, I think, seven seconds. There was something really phenomenal. And, and I, I think if you broke down the pace, it came out to something like a 445 minute mile pace that you had to do that that you kept up i mean some people can't even run a 445 one mile he ran it for 26.2 somewhere around there you can do the math under two hours beat two hours for 26.2 miles and um i mean that's phenomenal people had come close but they hadn't they hadn't passed it how amazing that was huh but you see sometimes we put these limitations on ourselves well no one can ever do that for a long time, it was thought no one could ever run under a four-minute mile. And then somebody came along who did. There are limitations we have put on ourselves. These are not the ones that God has put on. The enemy loves for you to have self-limitations put on yourself because then you won't go beyond them. But he always wants you to extend beyond what God has said. Last week, we're looking at the voice of wisdom. So the foolishness in its ways appeals to our flesh and our pride. It's usually something that we already want to do. And we put a little thing in there. Well, this is, I guess I should do this. But it's already something that we want to do, but we make it sound like a, we're sacrificing. Wisdom appeals to your spirit. It's what our inner man wants to do. Your flesh man wants to do flesh things. Your inner man wants to do spirit things. Remember we gave you this last week. Seeds of dissatisfaction nurtured result in rebellion. I gave you some homework on that. I didn't hear from anybody on the homework assignment. You can still go on to it if you, if you, if you find anything out about that. Seeds of dissatisfaction nurtured result in rebellion. Every time you find the rebellion in the Word of God, every single time you will find that somewhere there were seeds of dissatisfaction. And they grew. Gave you the assignment. Was anyone ever advanced because of dissatisfaction? I didn't hear from anyone. So you can go out there and check it, check it out some more. You see, when we get dissatisfaction, when that seed gets planted on the inside of us and it nurtures and it, it breeds out into rebellion, we become enlightened to principles we don't perceive as false. We gave you some of the examples of people with Paul that they didn't recognize these things as being false, but they were false. But they didn't see it. 
The enemy's goal is to get you off course, out of the will of God. He does not care if you leave the divine path to the right or to the left, as long as you leave it. He wants you to, to get off of that. Now, we spent a couple of weeks, we looked at how he distracts us and how he pulls us off. We're going to take a look at attacks here this week. One of the other ways that he will get, if, if he cannot get you off with distraction, he will send an attack. But he sure likes distraction better. But he'll come and he'll send an attack. Now, we're going to spend some time on that here this week. And there's a third way. There's a third way, which we'll get into next week. And I think next week also, uh, I'll, I'll show you something in the New Testament that will tie it all together. In fact, you may have never have seen this in this passage of Scripture before, but we'll show it to you. Thank you. But that's for, for next week. This week we're going to take a look at Second Chronicles 14. Anybody ever sing that song, Good King Asa? Anybody remember that one? Alright, I'm the only one. I had a song about it. He was a good king. He was, of course, of the south. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, Second Chronicles, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. Now there was Solomon, there was Rehoboam, there was Abijah. Rehoboam is listed as a bad king. Abijah is listed as a bad king. And then comes along Asa. So here's the scenario. Solomon comes in, and after a good good beginning, real strong beginning, he begins to multiply wives to himself. And we uh, gave you the number, you know, 300 wives, 700 concubines, 1,000 women in his house. And he came up with a really wise idea to build a house for all the other wives. All the wives would come together in one house. This is a really good idea. Now, just think of it this way. Husbands, what, do, what is it like for you if your, your wife says, I'm going to go out with one of your ex-girlfriends and have, have a lunch. What are you thinking? Now imagine this happens every day with all the women in the house. This is not a good atmosphere. This is what he chose to do. Kind of slipping from that wisdom there. Then he also built temples for all the gods that these foreign women would worship. And then he began to worship with them. And leading the, the people of, uh, of Israel into this false worship. Even to the point of bringing in some of this, the idolatry that involved infant, uh, infant sacrifice. And he brought all this stuff in. And Rehoboam didn't do anything about it. He followed in the same path. And Abijah followed in the same path. So you've got Solomon who started this. Rehoboam who continued it. And then Abijah who continued it beyond that. You've got decades now of people doing this, this sort of thing. Decades. We're not talking years. And then Asa comes on the scene. And it says he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now a lot of people do what is good and right in their own eyes. Christians sometimes do what is good and right in their own eyes. Well, I think this is right. Have you ever heard a Christian say, you know, why'd you do, well, I, I, I think it's a good thing for me to do that. Christians can have bad thoughts and conceive of bad plans. <laughs> if you have not been part of any of those or been the recipient of any of those, just wait a little while. 
Go through the Word of God. Was Jesus the recipient of bad plans from believing some so-called believing people? Was Paul ever the recipient of, of people who say they serve God? Was he ever the recipient of bad plans? How about David? Did David ever receive bad plans from people that claimed they served God? Sure did. Joshua? Moses? I mean, the list goes on. They say they serve God, but they had some bad plans and they executed them against the people of God. Just because what you see to do seems to be good does not mean it is. So when it says this about Asa, he did what was right in the eyes of God. Oh, that's some good praise right there. He didn't just do what he thought was right. He didn't do what the people around him thought was right. He did what God saw was right. This after having a father who didn't follow after God but worshipped idols, a grandfather who didn't follow after God but worshipped idols. These are some very influential people in his life. Then they brought a lot of these idol-worshipping people into the kingdom, into the, the rulership. Well, verse 3. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under him. Quiet and there was no war. Uh, the word of God tells us that he had uh, 10 years of, of rest from wars. Now you gotta, you gotta put yourself into place here. Here's the king. He has taken over the throne. From a bad king, who took it from a bad king, who took it from a good king, who went bad. Got decades now of people serving after idols. And when you serve after these idols, there was a lot of things that appealed to your flesh in worshiping of those idols. Amen. And then you're going to all of a sudden take the throne as a new king and tell all these people who like to pursue these activities that are involved with this idolatrous worship. You're not going to do that anymore. Not only close the places down where they did it, but break them up. Tear some of them temples down. High places, tear them down. Now we've had a, a lot of talk, we've, we've mentioned it a few times, but you know, there's a lot of talk about the deep, deep state, about people that are in government that are appointed, never elected, and who do things. And I've known about it for a long time. I'm sure some of you have already known about it for a long time. There's a lot of people that are appointed and they stand in the way of uh, people who want to, who want to do things and change direction and try to resist that, that direction. So we have, we have something that we can relate to on that. And you understand that if there's a pattern going in a certain direction, the opposition that is there. Decades ago, it was unheard of that abortion would be legal in this country. Now, if you go against it or try and enact any kind of legislation against it, what happens? You see, that's what happens when you try and change the course of things. Not only is the gay lifestyle uh, not only uh, legalized, expected behavior, it's, it's protected. You are safer from, from mob mentality if you were gay than if you were Christian. 
in this country. We're not talking about other countries. It's not quite as bad as it is in some other countries as far as safety for Christians. Because some of those countries, they can just take you out and chop your head off and no one will, will think anything about it. Haven't quite gotten to this place here. But even uh, uh, pedophilia. It is not, we are not long away from when that is going to be just as expected and accepted as the gay lifestyle is. I've already seen stuff. I've already seen some legislation on some things that have, uh, have gone on. And all you got to do is take a look at what's, called, what's t- typically called the left coast. California, Washington State, Oregon. Most of these things start there and work their way over. Well, I know some people that are in these places who don't buy into it. And they've, uh, they've let on some of the things that have already taken place inside the cities in Seattle and some of these other, other spots out there. And some of it would shock you. Some of it may not. I just bring all that up to tell you, we know how hard it is to change direction here. Now, this is what he was facing. This is what Asa was facing as a young king to turn the country away from this idolatrous worship. Turn them back to the things of God. He's having a hard time. But he did it because it was right in God's eyes. He, rem- he also removed all the high places. Or I'm sorry, removed the high places. Some of these were places where they went to worship God. They were not supposed to. So it was a perverted uh, Jewish religion. It was not idolatry, but it was a, it was a perverted one. And the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. And he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. So he had these years of peace in the land. And instead of just sitting back, he got ready. Because sometimes we've had times of quiet in our life. Times when the enemy's not coming at us. And we just kind of kick our heels up and just kind of, no, that's not what he did. He said, no, we don't have any war, so we're going to get ready for war. And he took some of his cities and he fortified them even more. He got his army trained up. Guys, we're not facing any battles, but I want you ready. Let's get ourselves uh, uh, working on the shooting the arrows and working with the spears. Let's get this thing down because there's going to come a day when we're called upon. And I want you ready. But he had no war in those years. Because the Lord had given him rest. Well, apparently, the Lord in giving him rest also said, get ready. Because he got ready. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Therefore, he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now, think about this. You got a country, you're the king of a country who's been going after idols. You are turning the entire country around to, fit, to worship God. How many of you think God would be pleased? And if God is pleased, would God not also keep you safe? Why is he getting ready for war? See, when you turn, when you turn your life around and you begin to pursue some of those things that God has put on you to do, know the enemy is going to come against you. The first thing he does is he tries to distract you. If you cannot be distracted from the place where God has, has told you to go, then he will attack you. He will send an all-out attack to get you off that direction. 
If that does not work, he has a third tactic and we'll get into that next week. But if you know his ways, it's not a surprise. You know, all right. Enemy tried to distract me. I wasn't distracted. So what's he going to do next? Well, he's going to come after me and attack me. And Asa's wise enough and smart enough that he knows we're stirring up a hornet's nest here because the enemy's had a foothold and we're kicking them out. So uh, he's, he's going to come after us here. Now just think about this. When God has given you a word for your life, some of you, God gave you a word about your diet. Things you're supposed to eat, not supposed to eat. Things that you're supposed to do in that um, in that particular area. Whatever it might be. It could be all, court, all, all kinds of things. But He's spoken to you about things you're supposed to eat, not supposed to eat. He's spoken to you. Some of you are supposed to be walking. And you're sitting at home. Some of you are supposed to be exercising, doing some stuff. And whatever kind of exercise God told you to do. And you're not. You're sitting at home. Why? Because you've been distracted. Come on, just admit it. If you're not doing it, it's because your attention is on something else, isn't it? If your attention was on the thing, you'd be doing it. But he got your attention off of it. This is how he did it. Well, I know God told me to do this, and I'm going to. Surely no one here has ever said that, right? (laughs) I know God has told me that I should start the morning reading the Word, and I'm going to. I just have to get a few things straightened out first. (laughs) See, what he's telling you is if you do this, you'll get those things straightened out. But the enemy knows it, and so what's he going to do? He's going to distract you. He's going to get you focused on other stuff. Instead of focusing on that diet, he's going to get you to focus on that cheese pizza. (laughs) With some delectable pepperonis. Canadian bacon. Maybe that nice flame broiled steak instead of that salad. <laughs> See, he's going to distract you. This is what he wants to do. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, we're talking. Uh huh. So he's going to he's going to do this. Now I don't need you to show me any hands, but how many of you months ago God told you something to do, and you're, it's still waiting. It's still not, not being done yet. I mean, you have every intention of doing it. I am going to do this. But you're not doing it yet. Why? Well, just some things that, you know, they're just not right yet. Well, I, I did go out there and I tried that. Man, it just wasn't, it was hard. It, I'm just not quite ready for this just yet. And, I mean, I know God told me I'm supposed to walk X number of times around the block or miles or whatever it might be, but man, I got around it and oh. (laughs) Or the next day I was so sore, I just couldn't do it. See, you're distracted. Sometimes when you've given up on that distraction, you went out there and you did it, then a full-blown attack comes at you and your body is just in total rebellion. I mean, some of you, you switched up your diet and your body went haywire. And it was doing things that it never did before. Well, 
this isn't good. I must have missed God. Because if the distraction doesn't work and you get out there and you start doing it, then an all-out attack can be next. And this is what these guys are going to be facing right here. So he's tried during this 10-year period to move them off, to distract them from the way that they're going, to get them off of the place of getting rid of idolatry in this land. And they didn't listen. And they weren't giving into it. So the next step was attack. In verse 8, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin 280,000 men who carried shears, shields and drew bows. All of these were mighty men of valor. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and he came to Maresha. Now there's some of the um, historians here will say that it was the Ethiopian and the land of Egypt. It was both that were involved in this, this battle. So Asa went out against him and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathath and Marishah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you and in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let men, man prevail against you. Now, who does that sound like? There's somebody we just talked about just in the last couple of weeks. Anybody remember a fellow by the name of Jonathan? Remember when he went into battle? He said the same thing. The Lord can deliver by many or by few. So they went in with two. And they began a battle by defeating 20 people. And a whole slaughter of the Philistines came up from that. So where do you think Asa got this from? Someone has told him the stories, or he has written, seen them written down, the stories of Jonathan. And what's going on there? Hey, Jonathan went into battle. He only had two, and God delivered great multitude. So he chose to believe that. What do you think the enemy's telling him? That's a million man army plus 300,000. You got half that. And you have no chariots. How are you going to defeat this bunch? That's what he's telling them. That's what he's hearing. Just like you hear it. Who are you to go up against and you name your condition you're going up against. Pain in a joint. Stiffness in this. Some kind of condition is going on in your body. Who are you to come against it? But Asa cried out to the Lord, Lord, there's nothing for you to help whether with many or with those who have no power. Now just understand this guy was not going around with just, you know, nice thoughts in his head all the time. The enemy came and sowed nasty thoughts in his mind just like he sowed them into yours. He just didn't buy into it. He didn't give voice to it. 
He didn't get there and become dissatisfied. Oh God, here I am. I'm turning this country around from the idolatry you know they were in before I came along. And I spent 10 years tearing down idolatrous places. Getting rid of idolatrous practices and worship services. Turning people back to the things of God. And this is the thanks I get. I get a million man army. They get mad. We get angry. Just like it has been for, for some of you. You had a condition in your body and God said, do this. And so you started to do it. And um, then you got another condition. Seemed to have gotten worse. Or an extra condition was added. Boy, that wasn't hurting me before. Now it is. What's up with that, Lord? I did what you said to do. Why is it that it didn't just turn around? I'll tell you, God, God has ways to help you out. I sometimes forget some of the things that God has told me to do. But you know, I've, I, I told you, I've, I've lived with this. I just haven't taught it. But I've lived with it for a long, long time, knowing that God will sometimes put boundaries on you and, and do things. I know there was a condition I was facing. It was over a decade ago. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's people who, who do things medically to take care of it. And um, I just sought the Lord on it. God says, do this. I sometimes don't even think about it, but it's still a part of my day. It was over 10 years ago. I've never had that condition rise up again. But just because you follow and do what God says doesn't mean that it's all going to be, be great. It doesn't mean that nothing else is going to come up. Because if you cannot be distracted from doing what God says, guess what? All that attack is coming. He'll attack your mind, your emotions, your body, whatever it is. If that don't work, he'll attack the people around you. We're going to get you off of doing what you're supposed to be doing. Just come at you with everything he's got. Try and get you to quit. And some people do. They quit. Or they, they give it a try for a, for a little while. Well, I'll, I'll work this out. I'll give God two weeks. Why can't God just heal me of the thing? Well, God sometimes, I mean, he, he does this. But if you haven't changed your lifestyle and your lifestyle is what's creating that condition, healing won't, won't last. You've got to change your lifestyle. Besides that, he's God. If he wants obedience, give him obedience. That's what you should do. So verse 12, So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to... Gerar. Anybody ever heard of the town Gerar before? Actually, you have. Do you remember that when, when um, Abraham went over to the Philistines? That one of the times he was he was over there, and uh, I'm not sure, I don't think that was uh, Egypt. But if you go, I think it's um, I think it's uh, Genesis chapter twenty. Genesis chapter twenty. If you go there, Abraham goes down and he's afraid for his life because of his beautiful wife. 
So he says, say that you're my sister. That happened in this town. And if you go six chapters later in Genesis chapter 26, you will find out that his son did exactly the same thing in the same town. So you do know where this town is. And Asin, the people who were with him, pursued them to Gerar, so that the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover. For they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them. And they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. And they also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep, camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So the enemy was mad at them for, for pursuing God and not pursuing the idolatry. Tries to distract them, tries to get the embedded people in there to steer them back. They won't, they won't go. He's holding, holding fast. So he sends this attack of a million men, 300,000 extras, just a, a 1.3 million coming against him. And he's got 600,000 and no, not, not quite 600,000 and no chariots. But he says, God, we need your help. And God gave them help and delivered them. And they didn't just pursue the people that came after them. They got city after city after city and all the stuff. In fact, some of the historians tell us that the only reason they quit was because they were exhausted. <laughs> to, to coin a phrase, they were tired of winning. <laughs> Every place they went, they won. They won against this city, they won. Go against this city, they won. They kept winning. But you know, it takes some energy to, to win. And then you gotta carry all the stuff away. So they're carrying all the stuff away, winning, and they said, man, we're tired. They act, I wonder if they actually said it. We'll have to go back and get the videotape. We are tired of winning. I don't know if they said that. But that's why they stopped. Because they were, they were exhausted. They were tired. And they repelled this attack. And what the devil used to come against them, God used to strengthen them. Now, how many of you had an experience like that that would change your life? It could have brought fear, but it didn't bring fear. They, they, uh, they stayed with the things of God. That, that could change your life, couldn't it? Well, chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation, and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Now, we did spend some time last week when we were looking at wisdom, that to stay, to do what God says to do, takes strength, it takes patience, it takes faith, it takes effort. If God told you to do it, there are going to be a lot of forces to come against you 
to get you to quit. Now, I don't know if you've ever done anything like this. How many of you have, uh, have ever said, uh, I'm not going to complain anymore? Go on, raise your hand. Just, I'm not going to complain anymore. I was, uh, anybody ever enjoy that, that show? Um, oh, I don't get to see it too often, but every once in a while I see a little, little clip of it. Um, and they put all the questions up there and have the answers on the board. Top, top ten answers are on the board or top four answers. Family Feud. That's what it is. All right. Family Feud. I remember way back when we were kids, you watched it with, uh, the guy from Hogan's Heroes. But, um, Steve Harvey is far better than anyone I've ever seen do this show. He is phenomenal in this thing. Anyway, he was up there and he said, um, I remember this, this one question that kind of just stuck with me. And it was in the, the end of the, the show when they do, you know, you had to get the, the top five or the five answers and you get money for, for whatever they call the thing. What is it? Fast money. There you go. Get fast money. So one of the things was, how long can you go without complaining? <laughs> and the woman answered, an hour. Now, you can just picture Steve having fun with this when it came down to the time. Of the whole thing. He looked over at her husband and he says, man, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> One hour. <laughs> and then the other person said a day. But you know, if you just made a commitment and said, I'm not going to complain, how would that go for you? But we know from the Word of God, it's a good thing not to complain. We know from the Word of God, don't complain. In fact, we know bad things happen when people complain, yet we still, we still complain. But if you made a decision just on something to not complain, how many of you can just envision what would happen over the next few hours to a day? Can you imagine? You're being trying to pull off that path. You made this path. This path is, I'm not going to complain. And you are being pulled every which way. And if you're not able to be pulled, outright attacks come right out there against you, try and get you to complain. Because the the enemy knows it's better for him if you're complaining. And there's other things too that you could be doing. Worrying, anxiety, fear, all those kind of things. He likes to have that in your life. You make a determination to stay away from it. He said again in verse 7, But you be strong. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. This happens sometimes with Christians. We go after the thing that God told us to do. We're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. And after a while we get weak. That can be, that can be tough. We were, um, we were over at the group run on, on Tuesday and I was talking with, uh, another guy who was a cross country runner. Not everybody who runs in the group run is a cross country runner, but this particular one was. And somehow we got onto the thing and then we were talking about race day. And he said this to me. He says, I don't know about you, but race day was my least favorite day of the week. And see, I knew exactly what he was talking about. I said, oh yeah, I sometimes forget about that. Yeah. I said, I hated race day. Race day was the biggest day of pain, agony, torture. In fact, I, I sometimes think back on those things with very fond memories. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I sometimes went, oh, I wish I could go back to those days. But it was nothing but agony. Total agony. Total anxiety leading up to the race. Total pressure on the whole thing. And it, I could never describe to you what it was like to go through a race. Never describe it to you. Because there's no, there's no point of reference. 
But it was some of the most horrendous time I was ever in. I battled everything in my body to get it across the finish line. And my body responded differently from most people. In 30 minutes after the race was over, my body went into a complete shutdown. And I only had a little bit of time before I better get to a spot. Because my body went into a complete shutdown. And if anybody ever was around me during that time, they would probably take me to the hospital. Because I couldn't lay still, my stomach would be upset. I'm sorry, my, my, my legs would hurt. Legs ached like I had never felt them ache before. Ache, oh, such pain in the legs. And you try and lay still just to, to help them out. And, but if you, if you, lay, you lay still just to, to help the stomach out because your stomach was upset. I, my stomach got so upset from a race going up and down, up and down with such agility and such, such ferociousness that I couldn't eat for hours after a race was done. If you laid still, your legs ached, but your stomach was happy. Happier. If you, if you got up to try and move the lactic acid and get your legs moving, your stomach was, was, was terrible. And I found out, it didn't take me long to figure out the, the pattern. I found it, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the body snaps out of the, the thing that you're going through with the stomach and if you do not feed it within minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, not much time, you will, I would get violently ill. Throwing up, I mean, it was terrible. Now, see, that's the, that's the easiest part for me to tell you about. The rest of it I couldn't describe to you. It was just uh, terrible. And he was talking about this and, and reminded me, he said, oh, yeah, race day, they were terrible. Oh, man, they were I am not in the place mentally or physically that I could do what I did on the race day back when I was in college. I couldn't do it. I sometimes wish I could. But I know I, I'm not able to, to do that. But um, you, you get out there and you start doing some stuff, just the anticipation of a race sometimes could make you weak. It sometimes make you pull back from it. And you go out in a race then you could tell, I pulled back. I, I, I pulled back today. I didn't go after what I, what I needed to do. Because you have to go after it with such, uh, such intensity that it usually was better just to not, not be around people before you got, got there. Because people would distract you from it. It's not that you're going to be nasty to them, it's just they would distract you from it. Lamar's shaking his head. I think Lamar's got a, he, he's one of the, he's been through some of these things. He understands some of those things. But I, I tell you, I know how much training it took me to get to the level I was at, and I was barely there. Some of these guys that are going through these these uh, under two hour marathons, I cannot even imagine the level that they would have to hit to accomplish that. But you see, your hands can get weak from the purpose that you want, from the thing that you 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 train yourself to do. You can get weak. Just know the enemy is going to try and get you to weak, be, become weakened. To, to not put your hands to it to the degree that you were doing before. That God has said certain things, but you're, you're pulling back from it. Paul even gave a reference to that, pulling back. The way sometimes some, some Christians would pull back from, from the call of God and the things that God told them to do from the faith walk. Verse 8, And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. 
And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Boy, I'd love to get into the history of all that. Don't have time for it today. But apparently after all these years of making war against this idolatry, there are still some left. And it's one of those things, have you ever had this going on? I know that's I know that's bad, but I just don't want to open up that can of worms just yet. I'm just not ready for that. Have you ever been there in that? A neighbor, a family member, somebody. I know what's going on there. I'm just not ready to deal with that. I'm working on this stuff over here. Well, it's just like that strength came up, that word came to him, and he said, oh, I'm going to take these things on. We're going to knock these ones out. And he went after them. And he got rid of those with the renewed strength that he got. Verse 9, Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So all these folks from the north said, Hey, he's serving God. Let's go down there. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month and the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart, with all their soul, and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. (laughs) Now, I don't recommend that part. God doesn't want people that are serving Him on fear of death. But that's what they did. Whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Also, he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. So mom made something she's not supposed to make and he took it out. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. So some of the things in the, that were considered high places were removed, but not all. So the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He was loyal or in some translations, he had a perfect heart all his days. I put this in your outline for you. Too often we strive for perfection in actions instead of loyalty of heart. We're looking for all the actions, all the dots to be dotted and T's to be crossed. But we haven't seen the loyalty of heart. That was more important. To God, God said, all right, you haven't quite gotten rid of everything, but boy, you sure went after a whole lot. But I see your heart. Your heart is loyal. The enemy pushes pushes us this way, that way, trying to get us to pursue a different goal. Something different than the Word of God has laid out for us. Something different than the Word of God has spoken to us. When we do so, we fail to accomplish God's objective. Verse 18, He also brought into the house of God the things that His Father had dedicated, and that He Himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Now, how many of you think this would take care of you for life? God shows up, defeats an army twice your size. 
you not only beat them, you go out there and you conquer all the cities. That means you tore down their walls, you breached their gates, you took all their stuff. After you got done that one, you went on to another one. Got all their stuff and carried it home. You got rich off of this. You've got momentum now going in the direction of God. So much so that you can even put a thing out there that if you don't serve God, you're going to die. That's a big change from momentum from how it was when he took over. But in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, that's their brethren from the north, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Basically, this would cut off the trade route. Affect their their money. This is a problem for Asa. Now, if you were Asa, and you just had sought the Lord after the Ethiopian who came and defeated him and had sought the Lord after all the internal things that were going on and defeated them and then this thing comes up how many of you think you'd be more than ready? Verse 2 Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and all of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad king of Syria who dwelt in Damascus saying let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. Uh-huh. I remember, remember David. He had, a, he had this treaty. Solomon, he had this treaty. So this treaty can't be bad. But he didn't take the silver and gold from his house. He let the Lord pay for it. Took him from the Lord's house. Here I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad hated King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ejan, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah which Basha had used for building and with them he built Giba and Mitzpah. Now if you look at this everything turned out pretty good. Cost us some money but somebody else went to war with Basha and uh, we got all the stuff because he left all the stuff there at Ramah and we built some some other things, so we got some of our money back. Came up with a peaceful solution. Nobody from Judah or Benjamin had to die. But in verse 7, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Hmm. So God had an, a vision of Asa taking his army over against Syria and defeating them. Instead, Syria would be a problem for them for many years to come. He said, Syria has escaped from your hand because you made this treaty. 
For the Ethiopians and the Lubim, not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hand. For the eye of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. You all know that verse, don't you? In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have oars. Now, he didn't like this word very much. He liked the other one. That encouraged him. That strengthened him. He's all ready to go out there and take on some idols. <laughs> he, t- he took on some more idols. And um, he's ready to kill people if you don't serve God. That's not something he got from God. God doesn't kill people because they don't serve, serve him. He wants them to serve him with a willing heart. So how do you think that this man responds to the word? Verse 10, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the time. Now that last verse just seems to be a throw-in. But Asa has taken time to, to shift the nation of Israel from the worship of idols to the worship of God. Along these lines, some of those people who were embedded idolatrous worshipers were being weeded out. He was taking them out. And in their place were put people who were faithful to God. So when he gets this word from the seer, and he gets mad at the seer, not at himself for what he did, but at the seer, what people do you think he's oppressing? He is oppressing the people he's put in positions near him to keep him going on the things of God, to help him to turn the entire nation. Because he's got to have other people. He can't just turn the whole nation himself. So these people who are loyal to God first, they, they come up to Asa and say, Asa, this is wrong. That was a word from God. You need to listen. Then he says, are you coming against me? And he begins to oppress those people who come against him. Because he's not receiving it. It's amazing the things that people do when they get a word from God. Not everybody responds to it all that well. Some people respond poorly. This is certainly a situation where it, where it was. I've seen some people get a word from God. Maybe the, uh, in a service or, or some guy to get a word from God and come out of there with, with something. Maybe you've seen this. How in the world did you get that? Out of what that person said. But they do. I've seen it for decades. It's just amazing. Sometimes you hear people. Maybe Have you ever heard one of these testimonies? People get up and they say, I was reading the Word of God and I came to this passage and it said this. So I did this. How did you get that out of what you just read? I don't understand that. Simple. They're in rebellion and the light they're operating under makes things look different. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when you get under a black light. Everybody under a black light? Things appear different. You can get under some light and things will be visible that weren't visible before. Got to be careful. So here's this, this situation. He didn't like this word and so it began to, to go in this direction. How many of you can, 
Is it possible for Asa to justify what he's doing based on the Word of God? Then how does a person who was so gung-ho for the things of God go this direction? But he did. He's not the only one. Remember Jeroboam? Did he not get a very specific word from God? Did God, God appeared to him, told him some things, spoke to him through the prophet. And... Um, as soon as he takes the throne, what's he do? Well, we need to go the way of idolatry. And he doesn't, never follows God as a king. There's other ones out there too. Jehu. He had a word from God. Prophet came down on him, anointed him. You've been anointed king to do these things. He went out there with great zeal. Did the things of God. Even began to show people, look at my zeal for the Lord. And as soon as he takes the throne that God told him he would take, he turned against God. Didn't follow after God. You would think he would. But he didn't. Don't think that just because you have some great word from God or that if God would just show up and do this for me, I know I would follow him. That's wrong. That is wrong. The people of Israel had a pillar of fire that followed them at night. A cloud the following by day had the Red Sea open up, had the uh, uh, water come out of a rock, had bread rain down from heaven, had angels show up and defend them. How many miracles had gone on inside there? And then what do they do? Take us back to Egypt. We don't know who this God is. All this stuff just happened. We can explain how the water came out of the rock and how the bread fell from heaven. And how the Red Sea opened up so we could get through, but it killed the Egyptians. And don't think you're above it. <laughs> if Asa, with all the things that happened in his life and all the things, that the revelation he walked in, if he can turn, guess what? So he's angry with the seer, put him in prison. He was enraged in him because of this. Don't, don't point out the sin of a believer who's walking away from God. They'll come after you. I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just saying if you do it, <laughs> nobody's coming. Verse 11. Note the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he, which he had made him for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in the mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. So in the 35th year is when he had this disobedience. In the 39th year is when he got sick. The 41st year is when he died. Asa resisted the correction by God. The correction that came from God through the prophet. He resisted it. When God speaks to us, we don't always have a positive reaction to it. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have done what God said to do. And God will hold us accountable for it. Asa is not only mad at the prophet, he's also mad with God. 
doesn't think it should have happened. I think I had a great idea. I think this, this would have been fine. Why in the world didn't you let this go on? Why did you have to get upset at this? Got him so messed up that when he became diseased in his feet, when he had other problems, he didn't even seek after God. Can you imagine a guy who turned an entire nation from following idolatry, went against all that flow to go in this direction, bucked the trend, got rid of all the people that opposed him, put in new people that would help him, and then would turn from that way. You see, he was not one who could be distracted. God put it in him what he had to do. Then he spent 10 years working on getting that together. Then he had that great battle, that great victory, and another word came to him. And as far as we can tell, he worked for the next 25 years after that in the same pattern. 35 years going after the same pattern, but somewhere he became soft. And when a full-out attack against him came again, this one knocked him out. There's a path that God has you on. The enemy wants you off of it. In that path, God has laid out boundaries. This is the right. This is the left. These are the places that you're supposed to go. This is the places you're not supposed to go. Don't go in the wrong way. Stay on the path. And His Word describes that to us. One of those things is don't complain. One of those things is don't worry. Don't have any fear. Be strong to do what God has said to do. All these things are, are, these are laying the boundaries for our path. The devil wants to get us to come on over. Come on over here. You don't have to be paying attention to the thing that God wants you to do. Take a day off. You've been diligent with that. What has it gotten you? Come on over here. Have a little rest from doing those things. I put in your outline, there are three ways the enemy tries to get us off the path. Three ways. Now, sometimes I tell you, it's not an all-inclusive list. But as far as I can tell from the Word of God, this is an all-inclusive list. There are three ways he will try and get you off the path. If you're here next week, I'll prove it to you. But here's the, here's the two ways we have. Distraction. This is generally the first way he goes in. He's going to try and distract you. Second, he's going to attack. If you have made your path and are going in a direction, he will send an attack. The first time he sent an attack against Asa, it failed. The second time he sent an attack, it succeeded. Just because you survived an attack doesn't mean that another one's coming. Remember, 10 years, what did they do for those 10 years before the attack? They prepared. I would say, when we get to heaven, get to watch the videotape. When that second attack came in year 35, they were not doing as much preparation. They were not being made ready. Spend time in the Word. Read it, study it, spend time in prayer. Put your hand to do the things that God told you to do. Know your borders. 
be walking all around inside your borders. God has given you the heathen that are around you. Go after them. Don't be timid. God has told you to lay hands on the sick. But see, the enemy is taking away some of our confidence in that area. We don't do it. But stay on the path that God has. God has told you something in the natural, do it. Brother Hagen used to share, share with us, with us uh, I probably said it to you, not recently, times in the past. He would come up, come up in the spirit. Don't drink caffeine. Just came up in the spirit. Don't drink caffeine. And I, I loved his response. He said, I, well, I stopped drinking coffee and tea and whatever he was drinking. He just, he just quit it. And all the times I've ever heard him tell that story, he has never one time asked God why. Never one time said, well, why do I have to do that? He came up in the spirit to do it, and he did it. And he said, later on, it would come up in the spirit. All right, you can go back to drinking it again. So he went back to drinking it. Never asked why. Part of the reasons that we get into problems is when God tells us to do something, we say, well, why? When your kids are growing up and uh, you tell them to do something, what is their response? How many of you parents like that? And yet we throw it to God all the time. Now, see, if God says something to do, we do it. We're in the army of God. We're army, army people. When you're in the army and the sergeant says, clean that latrine, what do you do? Yes, sir. <laughs> do you ever go up to him and say, it's already clean? <laughs> no, sir. When he says, go run five miles, what do you say? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Not, I already ran five miles this morning. <laughs> He's not looking for that, is he? But when we come into God, we don't follow it the same way. The enemy knows if you stay on the path that God tells you and you walk that way, success will come to you. So he's got to try and get you off that path whatever way he can. Don't let him. Next week we're going to go over what our last one is. And I'll tell you what, this one, it may surprise you, but it will, if you're not aware of it, even more so than these first two, it can undermine you. Did y'all stand up with me? Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Very head bound. If you're here today, if you say, I can relate to this story, because either now or sometime in the recent past, I have been under attack. I can feel the enemy coming and attacking something directly that God told me to do. Raise your hand. All right. Father God, you see the hands that are raised. Even some of those that didn't raise their hand, maybe they've already been through attack. Maybe we are in the time of preparation. (laughs) Getting ready for one that's coming. But the enemy hasn't lost sight of us. He wants to attack. But just as 
Israel faced countless enemies, just as David faced enemies, Goliath, Philistines, just as Asa faced the Ethiopian, and later with Basha, king of Israel. Attacks come. If we get ourselves ready for it during the time of peace, that attack will bring great victory. Wonderful victory. Even surplus. But we need to look to you. The first battle that Asa faced against the Ethiopian brought great plunder. The second one, not as great, but it still brought in plunder. Your hand was with the first one, but not the second. Just because we see positive gain out of the way that we went does not mean we followed the way of God. But I thank you for the way that you speak to us and the way that you help us. We have prepared our hearts to listen to you and we will receive the things that you speak to us. I thank you that in our life our people that teach us, instruct us, and help us And just like Asa, if we stay open to those things, they help keep us on the right path. But the enemy wants to take us in a direction just like Asa did where we resist those that speak the wisdom of God. We resist those that are there to help us. But it doesn't have to be that way. Father, I thank you that your glory is shining bright in us and we are walking in your way. Gone are our days following after distraction, succumbing to attacks. Father, we will stay on the path that you have for us to accomplish the purpose. We won't grow weary. We'll keep our hands going at the thing that we're supposed to do. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Keith.